0: Welcome to U News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, May 5th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. As President Biden announces a new goal of ensuring at least one dose of the coronavirus vaccine to 70% of U.S. residents by the 4th of July, a shifting strategy emerging for how to get those shots administered. Weeks after his conviction for the murder of George Floyd, attorneys for former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin are now asking for a new trial. And a review board advising that Facebook keep former President Trump off that platform as well as Instagram, citing ongoing threats of violence stemming from Trump's incitement of the January 6th insurrection. This and much more today on U News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the latest on the coronavirus here in the U.S. The Biden administration now setting a new goal of vaccinating 70 percent of the population by Independence Day, hashing out a new strategy to meet the goal. With vaccine demand dwindling, the Biden administration announcing a new goal and a new plan to reach it.
1: Our goal by July 4th is to have 70 percent of adult Americans with at least one shot and 160 million Americans fully vaccinated.
0: Right now, only about 56% of people 18 years or older have received at least one shot.
1: That means giving close to 100 million shots, some first shots, other second shots,
2: over the next 60 days. As the pool of people who are unvaccinated gets smaller, it gets a little bit more difficult. And that's the reason why you wanna do a modification of strategy.
0: That new strategy will shift focus away from federal mass vaccination sites and instead target areas with high demand and low access by adding more vaccine locations, increasing confidence in the shot, and getting children between the ages of 12 and 15 vaccinated when the FDA approves it.
1: Starting this week, we're also going to direct all federal pharmacy partners to begin to provide walk-in hours. You'll soon be able to get vaccinated without an appointment had the vast majority of our 40,000 pharmacy locations across the country.
0: Another change involves redistribution of doses to states. The White House announcing if a state doesn't order all doses available to them, they will likely be given to a state with a higher demand. It gives flexibility week by week, but it's really just an indication that we're in a different phase now that we were than we were even a couple of weeks ago in terms of access to supply, and we want to ensure the doses are, uh, that we free up unordered, unused uh, and unordered doses. For the administration, the urgency to act now and reach herd immunity is crucial in order to avoid another surge in the fall.
3: If we don't get there to 80%, then I think you'll see another surge of this virus next winter.
0: Meanwhile, the CDC responding to confusion over its latest mask guidelines.
4: For the most part, if you're vaccinated, we have recommended that you can do almost anything. We're asking that people who are vaccinated remain uh, remain in masks when they're indoors and really in public settings. And Dr.
0: Walensky says that kids 12 to 15 could be getting vaccinated as soon as in the next two weeks. And with doses already available at pharmacies and and walk-ins now being allowed, it'll be easy for parents to vaccinate their children. And let's go to Dr. Madi Slechwayo-Davis. She's an infectious disease instructor at Washington University School of Medicine. Thanks for being here, doctor.
4: Thank you for having me, Lorraine. Good to see you again.
0: Thanks for being on the show. President Biden aims to vaccinate 70% of adults with at least one dose by July 4th. What's the risk uh, to the rest of us if it's not enough people to get vaccinated?
4: Yeah, so, you know, this number of herd immunity is one that a lot of us are focusing on. And that number has been given 70%. This is using data that we have seen out of Israel, what it took for them to dramatically decrease the number of hospitalizations and death within the city. Um, We're at 50% and we've seen some declines and not enough for us to be able to show broad protection. And so the number is 70%, but the number may actually be higher. It's an estimation it could be lower. Um, So what we will be doing is tracking, is tracking what is happening with that number as far as hospitalizations and deaths, um, as this continues to occur. So in my mind, we cannot focus on that number. We need to continue to focus on getting vaccines to people um, equitably.
0: And doctor, speaking of herd immunity, earlier this week, the New York Times ran a piece quoting health experts saying U.S. the U.S. may never reach herd immunity. Do we need herd immunity in order to eradicate this
4: virus? Herd immunity is the goal. Herd immunity is how we get to our new normal. And what folks need to understand is that if we don't get to herd immunity, we'll just continue to try to get there. That is the bottom line. So what does that mean for how we live our lives? Well, it means the difference between being able to open businesses safely, social socializing safely, to feel good about being able to be in community with each other without some of the restrictions that we've been enjoying. So if we don't get to that number, we'll just have to continue trying.
0: And Dr. why Biden is focused on making it easy, as easy as possible for people to get vaccinated. Can that and will that help
4: underserved communities? It has to because we At the beginning of the pandemic we saw the disproportionate impact that this has on black and brown communities we then did we surveyed we surveyed folks to ask who of people in our community if offered the vaccine would take it and we saw that there was a lot there was a lot of issues um, around vaccine confidence in communities of colors we know why that is it's absolutely understandable but what then happened was when we focused on culturally competent education when we answered folks valid questions when we acknowledged that in mistrust exists vaccine confidence increased in black and brown communities so it is disappointing to see that despite that increase in vaccine confidence black and brown communities continue to be left behind so the push here has to be on access and I commend the administration for continuing to try to be innovative about where the holes in access are And they are in addressing social determinants of health. Not everybody has transport, available phones and Internet. So they are trying to be thoughtful about mobile vans, pop-up vaccine centers, making it easier, walk-ins at pharmacies, making it easier for people who have barriers to get these vaccines.
0: And with the plan or the strategy they just announced, we are probably going to see a lot of those changes happen in the next few weeks. But now let's move on to a subject that's, Interesting, a lot of parents, of course, and that might change in the next two weeks, as Dr. Walensky was talking about. Let's talk about children and the vaccine. They're soon going to be able to get vaccinated, possibly. Uh, And given the risk that kids uh, face is low, at least for the information that we have right now, should parents go ahead
4: with those vaccinations? Absolutely. We know that this data is highly effective. We know that it is safe and we cannot get to herd immunity if we ignore a vast portion of our population and that is adolescents and young children we did what we were supposed to right we did not put them at the lead of clinical trials until we knew for sure that we were dealing with a safe and effective vaccine and now that we know that we absolutely need to make sure that we can keep them safe because while they do not have the same degree of severity of 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 covid and certainly of death the transition is absolutely still seen between adolescents and from adolescents to adults. And so it is imperative that they are included in this vaccine push.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight. It's always so nice to have you on the show. Dr. Mati slash Davis, thank you so much.
4: Thanks so much, Lorraine. A pleasure to see you again.
0: Now let's go to Minnesota, where lawyers for Derek Chauvin are requesting a new trial. This happening after an image surfaced surfaced of one of the trial jurors wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt at a rally last summer. The defense arguing Chauvin did not get a fair trial. Andrea Linares has more. He chose
5: Derek five Chauvin five wants police. a new trial. The legal team for the convicted murderer made the request and a court motion saying Chauvin, convicted last month in the killing of George Floyd, did not get a fair trial, citing multiple grounds, including jury misconduct. This comes amid new questions about juror Brandon Mitchell, better known as Juror 52. Now, the 31 year old high school basketball coach is responding to criticism surrounding this photo. It shows Mitchell wearing a Black Lives Matter baseball cap and a t shirt saying, Get your knee off our necks. That image raising questions about his impartiality during the trial. Mitchell telling the Star Tribune his uncle posted the photo last August after attending the March on Washington rally to commemorate Martin Luther King Jr. and his I Have a Dream speech. <laughs> saying he did not view it as a march for George Floyd or against police brutality.
2: Policing, I think, absolutely needs to change. Um, For some reason, uh, especially here in Minneapolis, and the Twin Cities, whenever um, you you encounter a police officer as a young black man, um, you're greeted with aggression instead of some form of compassion.
5: Mitchell explains he was honest during jury selection and didn't have any influence on the deliberations or the verdict.
2: Uh, We we weren't watching the news, so we don't know what was going on. Um, We were really just locked in on the case. Um, And then with so much stress coming from the case, I mean, those things are are so secondary because you're literally, um, throughout the trial, you're watching somebody die on a daily basis. So that stress alone um, is enough to take your mind away from whatever's going on outside of of the four walls of the courtroom.
5: However, Chauvin's defense team saying the former officer deserves a new trial, saying the court denied requests for a change of venue, failed to sequester the jury, and claiming the media attention prevented a fair trial. Brandon Mitchell, at minimum, will have to be questioned in what's called a Schwartz hearing. And depending on his answers, a mistrial could be declared. The defense now has the right to ask Judge Peter Cahill to go back and question Mitchell. Then Cahill can decide if the verdict will stand. In Miami, Florida,
0: Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And in other law enforcement news, a man is dead after a police shooting in Texas Tuesday, just outside Dallas. Officers in the city of Mesquite saw two officers were says two officers were investigating a 911 hang up call at an apartment complex. They say the dispatcher reported hearing screaming and sounds of a struggle in the background. According to police, when officers arrived, there was some type of confrontation and shots were fired. A man was injured in the shooting. He was taken to the hospital where he later died. Authorities say a woman was treated at the scene. They describe her as a female assault victim. And pro basketball player Sterling Brown has secured $750,000 in a civil rights settlement. The city of Milwaukee says it's Common Council approved the deal Tuesday after an incident that took place back in 2018 body cam video shows police tased, tackled and stepped on Brown after a confrontation. Some officers even mocked him and the civil rights complaint he suggested he would file. The altercation started when an officer accused him of parking across two handicapped spaces. The former Milwaukee Bucks player was never charged with a crime. Meanwhile, as we continue to see incidents of hate across the country, police in New York are investigating an attack on two Asian women as a possible hate crime. It all happened Sunday and involved an assailant wielding a hammer. Video shows the women walking in Manhattan when they were approached by a person from behind. Police say the attacker demanded the women remove their masks, then swung at them with the hammer. One of the women was hospitalized with a laceration to the head. There haven't yet been any arrests. Police are asking the public's in, for the public's help in identifying the attacker. And across the country, in California, police arrested a man accused of stabbing two women Tuesday in downtown San Francisco. Witnesses say the victims are Asian women. The crime scene was near a bus stop on Market Street, a main thoroughfare in the city. According to a witness, one of the victims was bleeding badly while the other still had a knife in her arm. The identity of a suspect has not been released. Police say charges are pending. And at this time, police say they have no evidence. It was a hate crime, but they have not ruled it out yet. In the wake of her comments refuting former President Trump's false claims of election fraud, Republican allies of House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy reportedly want to replace GOP Representative Liz Cheney. Cheney is currently the party's conference chair and the number three Republican in the House. The Hill reports the party could vote to remove her by the end of this month. The job of the conference chair is to oversee the party's messaging, but some Republicans argue she is undermining that message by attacking the former president. Cheney has defended herself, saying she is trying to move the party back to its pre-Trump policy ideals. And also in Washington, a federal judge has ordered the release of a legal memo prepared for then-attorney General William Barr uh, before he announced his conclusion that President Trump had not obstructed justice during the Russia investigation. Edwin P.D. is standing by at our D.C. Bureau with the details. Edwin.
3: Lorraine, former Attorney General William Barr could be facing problems now that a federal judge is ordering the Justice Department to release a memo that advised against prosecuting then-President Donald Trump. The memorandum was prepared for Barr before he announced his conclusion that former President Trump had not obstructed justice during the Russia investigation done by Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Back then, the department argued the March 24, 2019 memo should be kept secret since it was only legal reasoning meant to help Barr make a decision. But now federal judge Amy Berman is saying she believes Barr and his advisors had already decided they wouldn't charge the president with a crime, noting the action was more of a strategic rather than a legal advice. The judge's opinion coming in a lawsuit filed by the Government Transparency Group, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, and it's seeking access to DOJ documents through the Freedom of Information Act. The decision by Barr and senior Justice Department leaders to clear Trump of obstruction, even though Mueller had not reached that conclusion, was a significant moment for the president that he touted as vindication. The judge also said that the legal memo prepared for Barr and the letter from Barr to Congress that describes the special counsel's report, quote, were being written by the very same people at the very same time. The Justice Department has until May 17th to file any motion to stay the order. We are reporting live in Washington, D.C. Back to you, Lorraine.
0: Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And former President Trump will not be returning to Facebook for at least 6 more months. The social network's independent oversight board voted to permanently ban his account after it was suspended 4 months ago for inciting violence that led to his to the deadly riots at the Capitol on January 6. Wednesday's decision also applies to Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. Between the two platforms, Trump loses direct contact with 60 million followers. The Facebook Oversight Board, which Includes legal experts and human rights leaders may reconsider the ban in six months' time. Facebook's leadership said it will carefully review the board's recommendations and determine its next course of action. And joining us to discuss this is Angelo Carusone. He's the president and CEO of Media Matters, a media watchdog organization. Thanks for being here, Angelo. Thanks having me. Is upholding Trump's ban at least temporarily the right decision, in your opinion?
1: It's the right decision, but it's like less than the bare minimum, um, because really, they've left us in the exact same place that we've been since where the, the suspension first went into effect on January 7th. Um, it's appropriate, but it's more appropriate to just make it permanent like every other social media platform that Trump misused did. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a good thing, but it's not really where we should be.
0: And, Angelo, Trump has not been permanently banned from Facebook. Instead, the Oversight Board gave Facebook six months to determine if he should be booted off completely. Why do you think they are choosing this approach?
1: I, you know, I think that they're punting it back to Facebook, basically, because you know, part of it is that Facebook has sort of made a mess of things. know, I mean, we went back and looked at all 6,018 of Trump's posts from 2020, and what we found was that 24% of them um, contained misinformation or extreme rhetoric. Hundreds, hundreds of posts violated Facebook's terms of service and they never did anything to enforce it. So I think part of what they're trying to do is force Facebook to draw some kind of a line that could be applied in similar situations. So the punting isn't great.
0: What are the implications of this decision moving forward?
1: I think it's actually bad for all of us. The first thing is that it kind of puts us in limbo yet again. Um, but I actually think the larger thing is that there's a lot of other Trump-like figures on Facebook right now that are not having the, the rules applied against them. Because what Facebook did when they issued this suspension was they made it based off of these extraordinary circumstances. And so they didn't actually make it about his repeated violations of the rules or COVID misinformation or anything like that. They made it because basically it was so connected to the Capitol attack And so what it actually means is that there's a a very large number of people doing similar things that Trump was doing that are getting away scot-free right now because what Facebook hasn't said um, is that we are going to start enforcing our rules against this kind of conduct.
0: Should Facebook be setting standards for
1: other public figures? Yes, I think that'd be a good thing. I think I would emphasize that it is extraordinary um that for for uh, trump's account was extraordinary there there simply is not another public figure that had broke explicitly facebook's rules as consistently as trump did um election misinformation public health misinformation on, on hundreds of instances and that's the part that's so extraordinary so yes i think it would be good for facebook to set some rules i'm really wary about the idea of them you know censoring or trying to manage any kind of public figure or anybody but on the other hand there are some basic norms that we all essentially agree on and actually you know expect facebook to have already been doing it to begin with um and that's where i think the line is uh the bigger thing is trump's account was such an influential thing that it didn't just affect the people that consumed him directly it actually affected facebook's entire algorithm extremists were getting boosted even if they weren't directly connected to trump Because the algorithm actually started to see that kind of content and those kinds of individuals as more relevant, more engaged and was working overtime to connect them.
0: So interesting. And let me ask you this. Should the federal government be the one regulating content on social media and how should social media platforms be moderated going forward?
1: I do not think the federal government should be regulating content on social media if they want to regulate the marketplace their their consumer best practices like I, I do think there's a role for the federal government to say you can't use bots uh, and you have to enforce the rules against bots because that could cheat advertisers and other consumers I think that's great consumer fraud consumer protection that's fine but I don't think the federal government should be weighing in on content I think the platform should be doing it and it should be it should be a, some pretty basic things around uh things that that will suppress people's ability to participate in democracy and society uh hate speech uh, would be another example uh and then some really extreme instances of public health misinformation and it isn't just about banning a lot of times it's that you shouldn't reward or supercharge that content that would be a huge boost as well so i think we should have expectations that the platforms do some very basic things Um, And at minimum, don't become a weapon against democracy. That's honestly what Facebook has become right now.
0: Well, thank you so much for your analysis, Angelo Carusone of Media Matters. More of you news after this short break.
5: Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The
0: effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come.
5: Both
3: parties are very far apart.
0: Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. U News covers
5: the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U
0: News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The coronavirus surge that's devastating India is showing no signs of easing up. The health ministry reporting more than 382,000 new infections and nearly 3,800 deaths today. And the country's COVID-19 Modeling Committee says the peak of this outbreak could still be weeks away. Some ho- hospitals have taken matters into their own hands to curb oxygen, oxygen shortages. Two hospitals in the capital, New Delhi, have installed oxygen plants on site. They were funded by the Prime Minister's Relief Fund, PM Cares, which collects voluntary contributions to help those affected. Money from the fund has been allocated to install 500 oxygen plants over the next three months. And now to Colombia, where major protests continue against uh, the president, Ivan Duque's administration. The police response they are growing more violent, with the number of deaths increasing and dozens now missing. Jonathan Mejia brings us the latest.
2: The country is burning. In seven days of protest, scenes of terror and death have infiltrated Colombia. Mothers crying for their children. And streets look like war zones, in which the neighbors create improvised clinics for the injured. These are the same streets where justice is sought, the same justice demanded on social media, full of videos showing police shooting at people and people then crying for the dead. (inaudible) Santiago Trujillo is one of them. He was 90 years old and close to avoiding his untimely death. Just two blocks, two blocks get to his house and they killed him. They killed him. The police have been openly clashing with protesters, even during the day. Freely arriving on the scene with rifles and firing lethal shots with rubber bullets. It was an agent who attacked me directly to my face. My eye actually blew up. A lot of blood spilled onto the retina. Even gas bombs have been thrown into full buses. Protesters have destroyed businesses and infrastructure, blocked streets and roads, preventing the passage of food and fuel trucks and even ambulances. (laughs) Reported by Yesi Baquero, Jonathan Mejia, U News.
0: Now to Mexico, where relatives of victims of Mexico's deadly overpass collapse that killed at least 25 people and injured dozens gathered to identify the bodies of their loved ones on Tuesday, a train on Mexico City's newest Metro line plunged onto a busy road below on Monday night. Prosecutors said 23 of the 25 deadly victims had been identified. The crash has raised wider questions about safety on one of the world's busiest metro systems, which carries millions of people across the capital city. In Mexico, where Cartel violence is an ever-present threat. There's this week's release from prison of a convicted narco boss was followed by that man, Hector El Guero Palma, immediately being taken back into custody. Paulina Gomez brings us up to speed on the case.
6: Hector Palma Salazar's life may sound like fiction, but it is the true story of a mythical figure of organized crime. Originally from Mocorito, Sinaloa, El Güero Palme started his criminal career next to the big Sinaloan kingpins. He began just like Joaquín El Chapo Guzmán, as a hitman, a driver and an assistant for major players like Caro Quintero, Félix Gallardo and Doneto Fonseca. Years later, with Ismael El Mayo Zambada and his compadre Joaquín El Chapo Guzmán, he founded the notorious Sinaloa Cartel and won a reputation for being extremely violent. He killed in lots of ways, burning people, beheading them, dismembering bodies. At that time, he already did that. In the 90s, he started a violent war against the Arellano-Felix brothers, leaders of the Tijuana cartel and Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo. But eventually, the cartel Venderas caught up with him when his wife cheated on him with a Venezuelan man. They had a romance, and part of the plan was killing her, and since that was not enough, she was beheaded, and her head was sent to El Güero Palma in a box. When his kids were walking on a bridge, he threw them off the bridge, killing Güero Palma's children. In 1995, Palma Salazar was arrested after his plane crashed in Nayarit. In 2007, he was extradited to the U.S. and sentenced to 16 years in prison for drug trafficking, but he only served nine years at the Atwater, California, Maximum Security Prison and was released early for good behavior. He was sent back to Mexico in 2016 through the Tamaulipas border crossing, and since then he has been detained at the Altiplano prison, the same one from which El Chapo escaped. They are people who shouldn't be out. I do believe in rehabilitation, of course, but these characters did so many horrific things, they shouldn't be outside. Mexican authorities have been trying to tie Palma Salazar to open cases here and in the U.S. to keep him in prison. Experts warn that despite of being in jail for 26 years, just like Caro Quintero, El Guaro Palma's future will entail going back to work, with the Sinaloa Cartel, Paulina gomez Bullshiner in Mexico City, You News.
0: Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then...